Good morning, everyone. I'm Veronica. I'm one of the students from Deakin Christian Union Mission Team. I'll be reading from Haggai, chapter 2, verses 10 to 23. On the 24th day of the night month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If a person carries concentrated meat in the fold of his garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with these people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer, there is defile. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blood, mildew, and hell, yet you did not turn to me declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to that day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not bore fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the heavens and the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shetel, declares the Lord. And I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, uh, Veronica, for reading uh, God's word for us this morning. So, friends, let's uh, come to our God in prayer and ask him to give us understanding of this word. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, we pray that you would speak to us, Lord, that we will submit ourselves to you. And we will humble ourselves before you this morning. We encourage our hearts, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, friends, this morning we come to the conclusion of our series on the book of Haggai. So if you are visiting here with us, you are at the back end of this book where we conclude our series and we get ready for next month, which is, what's it, Christmas, right? <laughs> and we work our way through as we focus also on our uh, with, with Christmas coming on. So this morning we are at the end of this series. The overall focus of the book of Haggai has been the rebuilding of the temple, uh, which in, in the end pointed to something beyond this building. And we have seen that it points out to a latter glory, which is greater than the temple. Let me give you a very quick overview, all right? So God was speaking to his people through a prophet for the first time since they returned from exile in Babylon. In, 18, in, sorry, in 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon dealt a severe blow to the worship of the God of Israel. 
He went for what was known as the pride of the tribes of Israel, which was the temple itself, which had stood by the hand of God, being built in the days of Solomon for over 400 years. Now this magnificent temple of Solomon lay waste, and all its furnishings had been taken to Babylon. What a sad situation. The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 25 says that the hand of God's judgment is simply for a time by the Babylonians and God will raise up another nation to bring judgment upon the Babylonians. And this is what took place. 50 years later, Cyrus the Persian comes along and defeated the great Babylonian empire. He brought the Babylonian empire to an end. And then something remarkable took place. Cyrus, a pagan, unbelieving king of Persia, issued the famous decree to let the people of God, the exiles, leave Babylon, go back to Jerusalem, and to rebuild the temple. And we read of this in Ezra chapter, chapter 1. And so in 538 BC, he allowed the Jews to return to their homeland and to rebuild the temple at Jerusalem. And in the providence of God, he even provided the resources for them to do that. How's that? God using an unbelieving king for his own purposes. So the people returned. They got on with the work of rebuilding the temple. Then they stopped and they were distracted with their own houses, right? And they were focusing on that and the work was essentially stopped. And they were essentially saying to God, not yet God, too busy. We're looking after our own interests at the moment. And so God dealt with them by withholding his blessings, causing a drought. So they did their planting, watering, and all of those things and not only was the blessings of the Lord withheld from them, but what they did have just went through their lives like flour through a sieve, like money does go through holes in a pocket. And then the people obeyed the voice of God, and he stirs up their spirit, and they go back to work. And then in chapter 2, we see that they started to compare the new temple with the old one. Some of the older people said, wow, we missed that glorious old temple. Others said, well, let's just give thanks. We've got a new temple being done. So there was rejoicing and there was sadness. We read of this in Ezra. And so God encouraged them to get on with the work because what was at stake was not the temple building. What was at stake was the worship of God. And so they got back to work and then by God's grace they repented they got back to work and then we have this amazing statement in in Haggai chapter 2 19b from this day on I God says will bless you that's a remarkable statement God was not obliged to bless them but in his kindness he chose to do so their crops will have a great harvest and things will look up because of the Lord's blessings and as I said last week friends we deserve nothing do we Every blessing we have is out of the kindness of God. You agree? Right? He owes us nothing. We are here today because of his kindness. Every blessing that we have is from him. And the greatest blessing of all is knowing his son, Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Complete, full blessing of Christ, of God through his son, Jesus. And so this morning, as we look at just these, these, these uh, verses, 20 to 23, there's, there's a lot of material in this section. We'll see how we go. Uh, just, just two points this morning, his power and his faithfulness. 
20 to 22, and then his faithfulness. Well, friends, we read, the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. So the word of the Lord came on the same day, that is still the 18th of December. Haggai, had, if you keep your Bibles open, that'll be so good, right? We can work our way through it. Haggai had already delivered a previous message on the same day, chapter 2, verse 10. And now perhaps later on in the day, there is a message that comes from the Lord. And notice that this time, the message is not to a people, but rather this time, the message is to an individual. Look at verse 21. Speak to Zerubbabel. Now by this time, friends, as we worked our way through Haggai, you should be able to say Zerubbabel just like that. All right? <laughs> okay? Maybe the next child born might be called Zerubbabel. We don't know, do we? Right? <laughs> Right? So we should know Zerubbabel like that. Anyway, so Zerubbabel is the sole recipient of this message from God through Haggai. God speaks to this guy Zerubbabel directly. Imagine that, friends. And Zerubbabel is mentioned throughout the book. We first encounter this guy Zerubbabel in Haggai chapter 1 and verse 1 in the second year of Darius. You can read about that. Uh, in, in, in chapter 1, verse 1, Zerubbabel was appointed by the Persian king as governor of Judah. His name, Zerubbabel, means seed or offspring of Babylon. And so in 538 BC, this guy Zerubbabel returns to Jerusalem under the Persians. And Zerubbabel began rebuilding the temple with the help of Joshua, the high priest. And so Zerubbabel was the civil servant within the nation. He was the go-to guy between the Persians and the Jews. If there was a problem, they would go to whom? Zerubbabel, right? And he was the go-between guy. And so Zerubbabel played a very important role with the rebuilding of the temple. And now to this guy Zerubbabel came the word of the Lord directly through Haggai. And what does God say to Zerubbabel? Have a look at our Bibles. He says, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the kingdoms, the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down, everyone by the sword. And then in 23, I'm also about to make you like a signet ring. I will shake the heavens. I will overthrow thrones. I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms and I will make you like a signet ring. Think about that. So now this is language, friends, of God displaying, displaying his power. The focus here is on who God is. I will do this. I will shake. I will overthrow. I will destroy. I will make you like a signet ring. The focus is on God. The living God. Now think, for example, friends, of how God shook the earth. Think of when the mountain trembled when God descended upon it. Exodus chapter 19, on the morning of the third day, there was thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then, have a look at that. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they shook and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went 
up like the smoke of a crane, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Do you get the point? The word there is actually violently. The mountain actually shook. It's been a scary thought, a scary experience, isn't it? For the people to be standing there and seeing this mighty mountain shaking with lightnings and thunderings because God, the almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth is descended upon it and the creation is responding, trembling before God. Think about how God delivered these people. This is language that we get from the Old Testament, from the Exodus story. Think, for example, of this. You know, Pharaoh's chariots, his, his horse, he cast into the, into the sea. And his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down in the depths like a stone. And then, your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. Just think of this God. What about God who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah in, in Genesis? Think about how God dealt with the Babylonians. We're talking about kingdoms and thrones, okay? Think of how God dealt with the Babylonians and especially with King Nebuchadnezzar. You know what happened? I think King Nebuchadnezzar essentially believed, I think, that he thought he was a god. He was a god. Because one day, he was walking in the balcony. He was looking at everything. I was saying, whoa, wow, how great I am. What a great king I am. What a great Nebuchadnezzar I am. And you know what happened, friends? Something happened. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven out, driven from among men, and what did he eat? Grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. This is what happened to him. We're talking about a mighty king, Nebuchadnezzar. One of the most powerful men at that time. And you know what happens to Nebuchadnezzar after that? At the end of the days, Nebuchadnezzar lifted up his eyes, my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And this is, this is remarkable. See what's going on here. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. This is the Babylonian king, the most powerful man, the most, one of the most powerful armies that he led is now proclaiming this kingdom, his kingdom is going to go on from one generation to another. He's learned his experience, has he not? This is how God works, friends. And so with these examples, I hope this morning that we get the picture of God executing his power as the sovereign one, both in creation and also against his enemies. And Zerubbabel, he needed to know this. Perhaps Zerubbabel wondered, well, what's the purpose of all this building work? Have you ever been discouraged? You might look at the church and think, man, we are a small bunch of people, correct? We are just a little group in a big world. What's the use of my serving God? What's the purpose of my little things that I do for God? Is it going to make a difference? 
Perhaps Zerubbabel thought that. He thought, what's the purpose of rebuilding this temple, God? Where is it going? What's going to be the end result? What about the Persians? What would they do to it? God is speaking directly to Zerubbabel in an extraordinary way. I think God cares for Zerubbabel. It says, speak to Zerubbabel. Remind Zerubbabel what I'm going to do. This was like God's Christmas greetings to Zerubbabel because it came on the 18th of December. That's a great Christmas greeting, isn't it, for us? Right? Know me. Know me because I am the God. I shake things. I do things, Zerubbabel. You trust me. I am bigger than you, Zerubbabel. This is who I am. You know, I was thinking about this this past week. I was looking at my own life, as we all do, uh, praying and, and uh, reading the scriptures and, and thinking about things in my own life. I'm thinking, God, there are moments that I don't really trust you. <laughs> there are moments that I, I, I worry, I, I think about things. My wife, Rose, Rose is more an optimistic person. She'll say, oh, Chris, you're worrying for nothing. I'm, I sit there and I think about things and people and church and everything else. And I say, Lord, sometimes I don't trust you. I don't trust you the way I should. And when I was preparing this sermon, this message, I, I had to take a moment and say, God, you are bigger than me. I need to trust you as my almighty God. Trust you to build your church. Trust you to do great things in this world. Trust you to put the right people in the right place for ministry in this place. So Zerubbabel needed to know who God is. And I think we need to know who our God is. Correct? Right? Do you believe that this God is the almighty, powerful, living, sovereign, great and awesome God? Come on, tell me yes. Good. A good response, a positive response. This is the God, friends. When we are trusting Him, you know that Colin Buchanan, I remember those songs. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Remember that? I remember playing that CD for our kids. I think it's still there in my mind. Look at that. All those CDs from Colin Buchanan, right? My God is so big, so mighty, and powerful. Anyway. That's my singing rendition for you this morning. So look at this. Let's see what the text is saying. Zerubbabel needed to know. He needed to know that God is the Lord of the universe. And in fact, we see this, friends. Uh, uh, look at Isaiah 40 very quickly. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust of the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. This is God speaking. The nations are like a drop from a bucket. That's how God sees it. And the question is, when is this all going to take place? When is this shaking going to take place? Perhaps it could be that uh, that, that shaking that God was going to do was with the Babylonians brought down by the Persians, the Persians by the Greeks, the Greeks were overthrown by the Romans, and kingdoms come and kingdoms go. And I think this text is not just talking of the here and the now, it's talking also about a future, as we will see in a moment. And so now we come to verse 23 where we see his faithfulness. So Zerubbabel, know that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow thrones. I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms. And I will make you like a signet ring. Look at verse 23. O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord. 
that and make you like a signet ring for I have chosen you, declares the Lord. Now what's going on here? What's, what's the signet ring? What's the signet ring? Now when a king wore a signet ring, he would usually wear it on his finger or he would wrap it. He would have a string around his neck because the signet ring was the imprint of the king's seal. <laughs> right? And when he used it, it was he, the king, had spoken. And he would take the seal, the, the, the ring, put it on wax, and it would confirm the power and the authority of that seal because the king has sealed it. All right? Now, friends, for a moment, for a moment this morning, I want us to go on a detour. Do you like, have you ever gone on a detour? Right, you come, let's go for a few moments, all right? You're with me on this journey? A few moments. Because this is important to you, what's going on. Let me say this. God made a promise to David in, one, in 2 Samuel chapter 7 to establish the throne of David. Remember that. That he would have a king come in in the line of David. Okay? Now we know that David died and so did the other kings of Israel. So what really was this promise and how will there be a king who will reign and live forever? This promise to David was pointing, as we know, to another king. But there was a problem, friends. There was a problem with this promise that God made to David. And the problem was in relation to a king by the name of, this is another name, Jehoiachin. Jehoiachin. All right? Who was the son of Jehoiakim. You're going to get all these names, right? Jehoiakim and Jehoiakim. All right? Now, what was the problem? The problem was this. As I live, declares the Lord, though Koniah, now Koniah is also another name for Jehoiachin. Koniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet ring on my right hand. Yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those of whom you are afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country where you were born, and there you shall die. Now, friends, Jehoiakim Chin did evil in the eyes of God. And let me refer to another text in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 22, which says this. Is this man Koniah? Koniah is the other name for Jehoiachin. Remember that, all right? A despised broken pot, a vessel no one cares for. Why are he and his children hurled and cast into a land that they do not know? Oh, land, land, land. Hear the word of the Lord. And thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of whom? David. Get the issue? It's a problem. Very clear message about Jehoiachin, who is also called Koniah. And this raises the important question as to how was God's promise to David going to be fulfilled in the line of David? And now what we see in our text, friends, we see taking place here in Haggai is that God now says to Zerubbabel, who is the grandson of Jehoiachin, I will make you like a signet ring. I have chosen you 
and you, Zerubbabel, are like a signet ring in the line of David. And Zerubbabel is one of those people in the line of David. This means, friends, that Zerubbabel is going to be God's signature in history, guaranteeing the coming of the Messiah, the everlasting King. Do we see that? I have notes, copies available. You can always ask me a copy and I'll email it to you. So this means that Zerubbabel is going to be God's signature in history. You are my signature, Zerubbabel. And so the promise I made to David will be fulfilled and you are part of my signature promise. Now, how do we know this? We don't hear anything more about Zerubbabel because he kind of like disappears. We have no idea what happened to Zerubbabel in the Old Testament. But where does he pop up? We read this morning, what? The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, right? All those names. Now have a look at this. Zerubbabel pops up in the genealogy of Jesus. Have a look with me in Matthew chapter 1, friends. This is, this is remarkable because we have a silent period of 400 years and all of this thing is taking place. And here it is. And after the deportation to Babylon, all right, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Ezo, and Ezo the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud. And Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. <laughs> There's Zerubbabel. He's there. How's that? In the line of the Davidic king coming to Christ, the Messiah. You think Zerubbabel would have ever, ever thought that that would be the case for him? God's signature promise is fulfilled and Zerubbabel is in the ancestor line of David with the promise of the Messiah. Friends, Zerubbabel is a type of Christ. He points to Jesus Christ, the everlasting king, and God fulfilled his promise. And so when Mary, think about this, when Mary and Joseph walked into that temple with Jesus, the glory of the Lord filled the Zerubbabel temple that had been refurbished by Herod. And yes, for sure, the temple had been refurbished by Herod, but it was the basic Zerubbabel temple. And so we have a bigger thing taking place in the book of Haggai, friends. And what was the, the bigger thing? He was anticipating Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of the temple. He was anticipating the day that Jesus in glory comes into the temple of Zerubbabel. He was anticipating the day when Jesus brings from all the nations by shaking them a people unto himself. And Zerubbabel know this. I will shake the heavens, I will overthrow, I will destroy, and I will make you a signet, like a signet ring. God kept his word. Can you trust this God? Can you this morning? <laughs> That's the God we see here. That's what's coming out here. This great God who made a promise to David, working his way through. In coming through Zerubbabel. And then, when that first Christmas happened, which we're going to celebrate next month, right? You've done your Christmas shopping? I haven't done a thing, friends. I haven't even thought about it. I will be thinking a lot about it this week because I will prepare talks for Christmas. Right? And on that first Christmas, 
when God became flesh, all this was fulfilled and the glory of the Lord has come in his son Jesus and God kept his promise. His faithfulness comes through and I want to encourage you and myself this morning because I look at my own life and sometimes I said to you this morning, I, I, I should be trusting God more than what I should and I had to come back to this God who is faithful, this God who loves you. It's a faithful God, is he not? And this God who has kept his promises in the past is the same God who will keep his promises in the future and his son will return one day. That's the message. Let me point out to Matthew chapter 1. You see, um, oh no, sorry, this, uh, that's the other text. Okay, Matthew 27. And this is what happened, isn't it? When God's son hung on the cross and took upon himself our sin as our substitute, something happened. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And what happened to the earth? The earth shook. The rocks were split. The tombs also were opened. And then, at that time, his voice shook the earth. Oh, let me go. And there was an earthquake that took place. Everything took place there, friends, in that moment. And the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over, they said, this is truly the Son of Man. And then there is a day coming, Hebrews. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. And then, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. See that? And thus, let us offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So friends, as we wind up this morning, what do we see in this? That we can trust our God, that he is powerful, that he is faithful. God has kept his promise, and one day he will also bring to pass the promised return of Jesus, who died on the cross for your sins and for mine. And therefore, therefore, we become God's signature people. I was going to put that as my sermon title, actually. We become God's signature people. Do you see that? Because he puts his signature upon you. And he says, mine. And you, he writes your name on your head. And he seals you with his Holy Spirit. And he makes you his child. And adopted as his signature people. Signed, sealed, delivered with the blood of the Lamb. Mine is written on your name and mine. That is grace. That is grace. You see, this morning, friends, we have looked at Haggai. As we close the series, let me ask you, because the overall theme is about rebuilding. How are you serving him in God's rebuilding project, his church, and this world. Think of all that he has done in your life and tell him, Lord, what you have put in me is now yours. It is all yours. All my skills, my burdens, my passions, my insights, my talents, my gifts, my abilities are all yours. So help me to get on with the work that you have called me to do. Be part of his church and be in the building work 
that God has called us to do. And one day, that work will last forever. And all of God's promises will come to fruition. Isn't that amazing? From Haggai to Jesus, from Zerubbabel to Jesus, and you and I are his signature people. How's that, eh? Does that encourage you this morning? It certainly encourages me. If I was to jump up and down this pulpit, you might think I'm crazy. But certainly does encourage my heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You're an amazing God. I pray this morning that you would help us all to be part of your building project in this world. Serving you, serving your church, serving the world we live in. If there is anyone here this morning who is not part of your family, I pray today that such a person will. In Jesus' name, amen.